I'd like for you to take God's word with me this morning and turn to that Old Testament book of Exodus. We've been marching our way through the life and record of Moses. And we come now to this portion. Moses has come off the mountain for the second time, delivering God's law and also delivering the instructions for the tabernacle. How the tabernacle was to be built, very specific, detailed instructions. And we come to this very beautiful account of how God's people responded. And this really is a pattern. It should be a pattern. And it has been a pattern throughout the ages of how God's people should respond to God's call for his service and work. Now I want you to look at it with me. Very short text. We read it earlier, verses 20 to 29. I want you to notice a little expression, three words in verse 21. And they came. And they came. Later on in the same verse, it says, and they brought. You find it again in verse 22. And they came. And then again in verse 22, and brought. Would you look this way for a moment? God's word and God's work demands a response. Do you know, never did God write or instruct his people to write without intending it to accomplish something. This is not just a novel. It's not just a storybook. It's not just good reading for the bedside. This is God's word. And it is to be heeded. It's to be heard. And it is to be followed. And so when Moses came off of the mountain for the second time, with God's word for the second time, and also the instructions of what was to be built, it was for the purpose of God's people doing something about it. Now, can I say this morning that any time you pick up his word, God does not wish to simply tickle your ears. No offense, but God doesn't wish for you to go to a church and just to feel good. God doesn't desire for you to go to church to tick off your Christian duties and responsibilities. But he desires for you to hear his word so that something might change inside of you. Now, can I just say, I hope you come to meetings and I hope that you're challenged by the preaching of God's word. But I hope even more that you're changed by it. And that's what we find here. Some people approach Christianity. They approach God's word in a sort of take it or leave it fashion. Well, I could take it or leave it. But can I say to leave it is just as much a response as to take it. You might say, ah, not for me. That is a response. I do believe the wrong response, but it is a response nonetheless. When God speaks to you, you can shrug it off. When God impresses by his spirit, upon your heart and mind that something should change, you can shrug it off or you can obey. But we're looking at a group of people in Exodus chapter 35 who have determined to obey. And so they came. Not everybody came. By the way, they, it's not coming to church. Now that's what we've reduced Christianity to. In 2021, well, I go to church. Surely that makes me a Christian, does it not? No, 
It doesn't, I'm sorry. Just like somebody once told me this week, just like a me standing in a garage doesn't make me a car. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. And they came. Did they go to the prayer meeting? No. Although it's good to go to prayer meetings and it's good to go to church. Did they go to evangelism? No. Although that's good to go out into the streets and tell others of the Savior. It isn't a place or an activity to which they came, but it was a state of mind. It was a way of thinking. It was a point of understanding, a realization that they came to. It's the same place that the prodigal son once came. Do you remember that? He was living prodigally, wasting his substance with riotous living. And finally, the Bible says he came to himself. He woke up. God desires today, not just for you to come to a tent, but he desires for you to come to your senses, as it were. He desires for you to wake up. It was a complete shift in lifestyle. We'll see that more clearly in a moment. Now, some have imagined that they can do this Christian thing. They can go to church. They can say a few prayers, drop a few coins in the collection bag, and bada bing, bada boom, they're sorted. But Christianity is not the addition of a few philosophical ideas or even acts of charity. It's an entirely different way of living. That's why Paul wrote, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Not a slightly polished one. Not one that's got a different change of clothes. Not one that wears a different title. But a new creation altogether. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That is, in essence, what the new birth is all about. Can I ask you this morning, have you experienced this? Do you know what it is? To be new. Have you experienced the new birth? Have old things passed away and all things become new? And so here in Exodus 35, were some Israelites, not all of them, some of them who came with a purpose. They came with intention. They came with determination. Now I believe that this is in a sense what Christ was calling for in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16 and verse number 24, Jesus said this, if any man will come after me. Now here's what he was saying. If any man is determined to follow me. Now can I ask you this morning, this is where it begins. Are you determined to follow Christ? Because there are many people who come to church, but they're not determined to follow Christ. There are many people who are happy to do a few Christian things, but they're not happy to follow Jesus. But here are a group of people in Exodus 35 who came to follow God. And to be a Christian is an intention of following after Christ. That's what Jesus said. If any man will come after me, not just come to me, but come after me. Follow him. Now, who is it that came? Let's think about that in Exodus 35. Let's look at it. Who is it that came? And who is it that comes today? By the way, not just to the meeting and not just to the prayer meeting and not just to evangelism, but who is it that comes to follow after Christ? Who is it that came? The Bible says, look what it says in Exodus 35 and verse 21. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up. Now, I like this. Would you look this way? 
Everyone whose heart stirred him up. Not his head. Not his head. But his heart stirred him up. Never has a head ever stirred anyone up. But a heart is very often stirred one up. One, everyone whose heart was stirred and not just stirred, but stirred him, his entire being stirred him up. By the way, Christianity is not a movement of the mind, but a movement of the heart. Now, the mind is involved. We'll see that in a moment. But it's a movement of the heart. And you will never, ever truly follow after Christ until your heart is stirred. Now, what does it mean to be stirred? Very simply put, look here. To be stirred means to be disturbed. Do you know why so many people aren't following after Christ? Because they're too comfortable. And they don't want their life to be disturbed. The fellas convinced me to go for an early morning dip here recently. And it's been a, they've been doing this since February. And they were complaining about how cold it was. But it really wasn't cold at all. I don't know what the complaint was. They convinced me to go for that early morning dip. And, you know, before we got in there on top of the water was all sorts of particles that have fallen from the tree and settled like a blanket on top of the water. It didn't look very appealing when we got there. But when you jumped in, the water was stirred and things began to move. Now, the majority of Christians today have a heart and a life like that lake was before we got in. The majority of believers today have a stagnant Christianity. It's a Christianity where things have begun to mold on top. And by the way, you quite like your moldy Christianity. It's comfortable. It's easy. You know what to expect. Nobody likes to be stirred up because you don't like the waves. You don't like the consequences of being of stirring. And so therefore, it's far easier to sit down, take a back seat and say, you get stirred up. I'm staying here. But the only ones who came. The only ones who got involved in God's work were those whose hearts had been stirred. Those who something inside had been disturbed and they would never be the same because of it. My pastor used to say, if you intend to make a difference in the future, you've got to disturb the present. You've got to do something about today. You've got to do something about the situation right now. That's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 17 when the apostle Paul stood on top of Mars Hill looking over Athens. And in verse number 16, the Bible says, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Can I ask you a question this morning? When was the last time your heart was stirred inside of you? When's the last time you got stirred up? Now, to our shame, we can get stirred up about a football match. But we can't get stirred up about Jesus. To our shame, we can get stirred up about the coronavirus and the overreach of regulations. But we can't get stirred up about a lost and dying world. When was the last time your heart was stirred inside of you? I believe that the stirring of the heart precedes every great work of God and every great work for God. Nobody takes a step of faith. Nobody launches out in faith until first their heart is stirred. And that stirring becomes a bubbling to the point where if you don't do something, you're going to explode. You ever been there before? 
Jeremiah the prophet said, I'm going to shut my mouth. I'm not going to preach anymore. I'm just going to sit here. I'm not doing anything. And he said, my belly began to stir inside him. And I couldn't help it. That's who came. That's the ones who came. And I wonder this morning, are you stirred? Are you stirred up today? Are you determined that something's got to change? Are you disturbed by our present circumstance? Are you disturbed by the condition of Christianity in the Western world? Or are you comfortable sitting on your moss-covered, moldy-covered Christian life? It's time to get stirred up. Now, that not just everyone whose heart was stirred. The Bible says they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit made willing. Now, this is important. It's good to have a heart stirred up. But it's better to have a heart stirred up and a willing mind. In fact, it's good to have a willing mind. It's good to be made willing. But it's good to have both together. You can get stirred up and never do anything about it. Can I just step on some toes for a second? The majority of us have complained and grumbled and murmured for the last year and done nothing about it. The majority of Christians for the last 100 years have sighed and moaned at the apparent decline of Christianity in our land and in the world, but they've done nothing about it. It's okay to get stirred up, but it's even better to be willing to do something. Now, you might have be the other way around. You might say, well, I'm willing. I'm, I'm, I'll go wherever God wants me to go. I'll do whatever God wants me to do. But I, I just can't be bothered. So you need both. You need a heart that's stirred and a willing mind. If my heart is not stirred, then I don't have a motivation or desire to put myself forward, to follow the Lord, to do something that is required for the Lord's work to progress. A willing mind and a stirred up heart is an amazing combination. Have you got it? In fact, the Bible says in verse 22, and they came both men and women, as many as were willing hearted. What a combination. Willing hearted to have a heart that is willing. Now decisions and reasonings go on in the mind, but the expression of those decisions and the expression of those reasonings are seen through a stirred heart. You can sit all day long in your office and think, some great, wonderful, deep theological truths. But until your heart is stirred, all you have is a swollen head and a shrunken heart. These are the ones. Those whose hearts were stirred and those who were made willing. These are the ones that are going to be used by God. These are the ones who are able to be used by God. By the way, great talent God is looking for. So breathe a big sigh of relief. It's not talent that God blesses. God isn't looking for the most talented person. That just shows you how carnal our thinking is. We oftentimes see a big sports athlete and say, a big footballer and say, boy, if he'd give his heart to the Lord, he'd be a great servant for God. Or we see somebody's got a lot of money. Well, if he got born again, then we'd all be in a better place. Forget about it. God doesn't delight in that kind of a person. What God delights in is the one who has nothing at all to offer, but he says, here am I, Lord, send me. That's what he desires. 
Robert Murray McShane says it is not great talents that God blesses so much as a great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. One who is determined to say, take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. So they came, stirred hearts and willing. Now that's the first part. The second part is this. They came and they brought. Now don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to empty your purses and your wallets and their collection bag. I do my best to talk as little about money as possible because it's been abused in so many churches and Christian circles these days. This is not about money. You'll see that in this text. But a stirred heart and a willing vessel always leads to an offering. I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about money. What kind of offering am I speaking of? You'll see it here in a moment. You say, I'm stirred up today. I'm willing to go. Okay. What have you brought? What have you brought? What have you offered unto the Lord? Now, this is not about bringing your money to the church and put it in the collection bag. What have you offered to God? Not to the church and, and not to some ministry on the internet, on television that wants your money, not some charity. What have you offered to God? You say, I don't have much to offer. I barely have enough money to pay the bill. It's not about money. In fact, I believe it begins with offering yourself. Do you remember what Isaiah the prophet said after falling on his face before the presence of Almighty God? And God said, who shall I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. The question was, the question was not, who's got all the money? The question was, who will go? Who will go? Here am I, send me. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, an excellent portion of scripture that I'm sure you're familiar with. And verse number one, uh, Paul writes to the church at Rome and he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I beg, I implore you. I'm pleading with you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies. What God wants you to offer your wallet. No, 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 no. Because you can give your wallet and keep your heart. Do you know that? You can give all the money in the world and still keep your heart and your life and say, well, God, I'll put 20 pounds in each week. That'll ease my conscience and then I can keep living the way I've always wanted to live. God's not interested in that. Here's what God's interested in. That you present your body a living sacrifice. God didn't want you to put yourself on a cross. Some people imagine every once in a while somebody gets the wild idea that they're going to they're gonna nail themselves to a cross, make a statement. Or they're going to carry a cross around the world and make a statement. Okay, fair enough. But what God wants is for you to offer yourself a living sacrifice. Every single day, say, here am I, Lord, send me. Where will you have me to go, Lord? What will you have me to do? What will you have me to say? When's the last time you prayed that? When's the last time you said, Lord, not my will, but thine be done? I present, I, I, I implore you, I beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You might be thinking today, that's a little unreasonable. That's okay for you. You're a pastor. That's your job. Can I correct you? It's not my job. It's my calling. It's my life. It's not a job. It's a life. And there's a calling for each one of you. You may not be called to be a pastor, but you are called to present your body a living sacrifice. 
You are called alongside of me and everybody else. We are all called to present our bodies to the Lord each day at a time saying, here am I, Lord, send me. We're called to that. And it is your reasonable service. It's not unreasonable. Now, come on now. Come on. Why can't you just be happy with me coming to church and dressing up nice and singing the hymns and dropping a few pounds in the collection bag? Why can't you just be happy with that? Because God's not happy with it. God wants you. He wants you. In Mark chapter 12 and verse number 41, listen to what the Lord Jesus tells us. Mark chapter 12 and verse number 41, Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury and many that were rich cast in much. Can you imagine sitting there watching the people come and putting their money in the collection box? Probably some of them were like they do today. They get out their biggest note that they have in their wallet, something like this. Let's imagine this was a 20 pound note and they do one of these things. Because they're more interested in you seeing how much money they give than they are of God seeing. So here they were casting in much money. Maybe they were talking about it. I don't know. And then there came a certain poor widow. You know the story. And she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, truly I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. Why? How is it even logically possible that a little old woman who put in a couple of pennies, a couple of coppers, put in more than all the wealthy millionaires who waved their big checks and money around for all to see. How is it even possible that she gave more? Because, Jesus says, for they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want. Here's what he said. They all gave because they got plenty. If I got a thousand pounds in my pocket, it's nothing for me to give you ten. Nothing. And I can pat myself on the back that I gave 10 pounds today. But the one who has two coppers and she owes 200 to somebody else, that one who comes and gives out of the, not her abundance, but out of her need, out of her want, she cast in all she had, even all her living. You know what she gave? Look here. She gave her whole life. That's what he wants. We're not going to pass a bag or a bucket or a box around and say, okay, give as much as give. No, 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 no. I'm not interested in that. We are interested in you giving yourself. If you give yourself, God will lead you in every other department of your life. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 13, listen to this. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. He says in verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And again in verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to it, Iniquity unto iniquity, 
Even so now, yield your members, servants to righteousness and holiness. Look here, look here. Do you know before I became a Christian, before the Lord saved me, do you know what I did? I offered myself to sin. Before God saved me, before God in his mercy reached down and picked me up out of that horrible pit, before he did that, every day I, I showed up at the front of the queue and said, here am I, sin, you can have me. I didn't talk to the devil because I never met him before. At least I didn't think I did. But you could say, looking back now, I offered myself to whatever was ugly and unclean and evil. I made it easy. I yielded my members. Here's my hands. Uh, I'll fight with my hands. And here's my money. I'll spend it on rubbish. I Whatever I had, I gave to evil. So here's what Paul says. If you lived your life like that, then... Now, as a Christian, don't just stop doing that, but now yield yourself to God. Look here for a second. Most Christians fail because they give themselves to the world, to sin and to Satan before they're saved. And then when they're born again, they realize I got to stop smoking, stop drinking, stop partying, stop uh, messing about, uh, stop all of those things. Good. But have you given yourself to Christ? Have you yielded yourself to him? He deserves you because he paid for you. He died for you. I'll tell you the story. I know you've heard it before, but the story of two Moravian missionaries. And they heard about a little island where there was a a great bunch of slaves being held. British Slave owner had determined that no Christian, no missionary, no pastor would come to that island to try to evangelize to those slaves. And so it was, you could say, a very dark place. Spiritually, physically, there was all sorts of cruel things. And two Moravian missionaries heard about it. They were about 20 years old. And they said, by the grace of God, we're going to go and reach those lost people for Christ. They had one problem. They couldn't go. No missionary, no pastor was allowed to go. So they believed that God led them to sell themselves as slaves, take the money that they had earned from the sale, and buy a one-way ticket on a ship to that island to spend the rest of their days amongst those slaves so they could tell them about the love of Jesus. They boarded the ship on the way to that island, and all their friends and family in the Moravian community came to the docks to bid them farewell. And as the ship was pulling out of the harbor, uh, the story says that one of those young men waved his hand and shouted this out to the, to the rest of the crowd. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. Here's what he knew. Jesus died for an expected end. Jesus died and therefore because he died to save men's soul, he is worthy to receive what he died for. They understood that their life was not their own, but they were bought with a price. And so therefore they said, take my life. It's not my own. And this is exactly what took place In Mark chapter 14, in closing, do you remember just before Jesus died, 
He was sitting in Simon, the Pharisee's house. They wanted him to come and dine with them. And as they were sat together at meat, in come a woman, a notable sinner. The whole community knew that this was a rotten woman. And as she came in, everybody got uncomfortable. Would you look here for a second? Shame on us if we become some middle-class church that gets uncomfortable when a sinner walks in. Have you forgotten where you've come from? Shame on us if we ever get so comfortable and so relaxed that somebody who is seeking Christ but isn't there yet is made to feel unwelcome. Here she comes in the house, this notable sinner, probably bowing her head in shame. And all of a sudden, the whole atmosphere got tense because these religious hypocrites watch this woman walk in and they begin to think, who is this woman? And I cannot believe this man is letting her come. And she came and she began to wash his feet with her tears and with her hair. And she brought out an alabaster box of ointment. The Bible says that it contained one year's wage worth of ointment in it. And she broke it and poured it out upon his head. You know what she just did? She gave to him everything she had. And there was one real clever chap sat in the midst who said, why is this waste being made? Beware of the pharisaical thinking that looks down your long religious nose anytime someone tries to give their all to Christ and says, what a waste. You should have done this or you could have done that. Beware of that. That's what they began to say. Oh, we could have sold it and oh, we could have sold this ointment and fed the poor. Oh, we could have done this and we could have done that. The truth of, this matter, of the matter is they wouldn't have done that at all. But here's a woman who gave everything. And look what Jesus says in Mark chapter 14 and verse 6. After these people began to murmur, Jesus says, let her alone, leave her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. What does Jesus want from you? For you to do what you can do. Do what you can. Now, can I ask you, would you look here? Have you done all that you can for him? Have you done all that you possibly can for Christ? Now, I think if you're honest, you'd say with me, no. There's more. There's more to be done. More to be surrendered. More to be yielded. And that's what happened in Exodus 35. The people of God gave all that they could, all that they had, some had gold, they gave gold. Some had earrings, they gave earrings. Some had uh, you had some sort of ram skin, and they gave ram skin. Some had a, had a particular kind of wood, and they gave that particular kind of wood. But they all gave. Those who were willing, and there's another group, women that who were wise-hearted. Well, they said, I don't have much to give, but I'll spend. They labored. Have you done that? Have you said, Lord, I don't have much to give, but I'll give you my time. I'll give you my energy. That's what they did. And do you know what happened at the end of it all? They had more than enough. Do you know that? Probably the only time in church history when God's people had more than enough. I'm kidding. They had more than enough. They gave so much 
that there is a surplus. God's people ought to live in such a way, giving of themselves and of their time and of their resources, that there's always plenty to do God's work. I praise God that we have seen that here. Now, there's always room for improvement, isn't there? But we've seen that. Speaking with some uh, new friends this morning, and they were amazed. Speaking of some of the things that we get up to and get involved in, they were amazed that we could do so much without having, you could say, paid clergymen. But what we have are willing hearts, stirred up hearts. That's what's needed. Every one of us saying, I I don't have much. Here I am. Use me. Each one doing his part, giving their part and God's work advances. That's what we're seeing. But the best is yet to come. I believe that we need a revival. And why should we not pray for it? And why should we not expect it in these days? Why not? But we cannot expect God's work to be done if we have not come willingly. If we have not come stirred up, determined that we're willing to be disturbed for the sake of the kingdom. I heard of some friends of ours went out yesterday, last night, and there's two groups out last night. One group of the homeless outreach with the burger van and another group out who set up shop in the city center and just, they said, look, we don't know what else to do. So they set up shop, put up a little tent, sat down in some chairs and just sat there and prayed with people and talked to people as they came through. And one person made a profession of faith last night. That would have never happened if there wasn't a willing heart and a stirred up heart. It's not enough just to be stirred up. But are you willing? Willing to do something? That's where they were. Now, they, it took a long time for them to get there, but they got there. That was born out of an understanding of who God was. The moment you understand who he is and how worthy he is, you'll hold nothing back. You'll hold nothing back. Do you know, I'll close with this. When we get to heaven and we stand before the Lord Jesus, none of us here, look here for a second, look this way. No one here will ever look upon the face of Jesus and say, I wish I didn't give him so much. I wish I wouldn't have given him so much of my time. You know, Nobody will ever look in the face of Jesus and say, you know what, Lord? Uh, I gave you too much. Do you know what we'll say? Look here. Each one of us will say, I wish I had given him more. When you look at the face of Christ, You and I are going to say, I wish I had not wasted so much time. I wish I had not wasted so much time on myself and so much money on myself. And I wish I had given him more. Why don't you start now? Why don't we start now? Instead of waiting until we look on his face. Why don't we start now with saying, I'll give you whatever I can. Let's pray together. Father. Help us to see how worthy you are. Help us to see that offering ourselves a living sacrifice is not unreasonable. It is our reasonable service. Christ paid for us. Our wonderful Savior died in our place. that We might be born again. The least we can do is live for him here. Show us, Lord. Guide us. 
Show us what it is that we are to offer unto thee. Time. Ourselves. Love. Care. Show us, Lord. Just show us. Our voice, our tongue. Show us, Lord. Guide us by thy spirit. For we ask it in Christ Jesus.